Hello and welcome to the Paranormalist Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Dodson, the novelist, paranormalist. I can even call myself a no. <laughs> it's, it's I'm not even. Wait, did I say novelist, paranormalist? You said novelist. I am the one who you writes. Novice. The, I am the one who writes the novels. <laughs> Just kidding. That's Patty. I can't talk today. I probably haven't eaten enough. I think I've been driving Maybe around we all day. Feed you. <laughs> so, well, this iced tea will kick in, and then we'll see. My what son happens. made two pounds of spaghetti last night. Oh, jeez. I have no clue why he did this to me. That's way too much. I know. Oh, and I'm here with Patty Wilson. The, Hi, everybody. The actual novelist and the actual paranormalist. I am the novice. Um, okay, so Patty, what are we talking about today? I thought as we're getting closer and closer to October, my favorite month, obviously, um, that we should maybe talk about some of the creepy ghost stories, the ones that really freak you out. And um, I love ghost stories and I've talked about a lot of my ghost stories being very personal, very emotional, very positive and uplifting. But, um, you know, the thing that drew me into them in the first place were um, all the tales that I that I absorbed. I don't want to say read. I absorbed them. I sucked them right in as a child growing up. And um, Elliot O'Donnell, who was a third generation ghost hunter, you'll hear me say his name with great reverence many, many times. Um, He ghost hunted all over the the world literally he traveled around and what have you but his his grandfather and his father were paranormal experts prior to him and he was at the turn of the 20th century and he wrote a great many books my favorite book of all time is called the screaming skulls which he wrote and it was about these screaming skulls and a lot of other ghost stories in it as well they were all very short stories and um this was where the concept of the thing in the wall came from to me at least for me. And the story was that this gentleman had stayed at a hotel and he named the hotel in England. And the guy had this horrible dream in the middle of the night that this um, wall slid back and this black figure came out of the wall and it came over and it was menacing him on his bed and choking him and trying to kill him. And he he was um he gasped and he's fighting this thing and he can see white eyes and glowing and and this black figure and finally woke up out of this nightmare gasping for breath took off out the door and um into the hallway and down to the lobby and he's panting and what have you and the gentleman at the desk said are you okay sir and he said no no i'm not and he said what happened? And he said, Oh my God, I've had this horrible nightmare, blah, blah. And he told him the whole story. And the guy looked at him, you know, very white and, and, and said, you're in room such and such. They shouldn't have put you in there. And he said, why? And he said, that's the haunted room. People that go to that room to sleep have horrible nightmares. Well, eventually, um, this gentleman, because he was very well to do, convinced them to open that wall. And they found a skeleton of a man in that wall and they found that years earlier there had been an older gentleman who had stayed had lived in the hotel and had rented that a room and some of our rooms made a suite of it and that his servant had um murdered him in his sleep and stolen his his riches and they had never caught the man and they had always assumed that he had gotten away but what he had done was he had climbed up into the wall and hidden and then he couldn't get the little cubby hole open again and he ended up dying in there so the person who stole all the jewels? Yes, and the jewels and stuff were still in there, yeah. Well, who gets to keep that? I don't know who gets to keep that, but <laughs> I just thought that was one of the creepiest stories I had ever read. Of course, you know, as a kid. Yeah, it's kind of like that, uh, is it Stir of Echoes? Is that the one Kevin Bacon was in? I don't know. I'm not a Where? movie person. You are. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> when he keeps hearing voices and whatever, and then he finds out that uh, there's a little girl's body, like literally in his basement that's been bricked over. Yeah. So she's behind the wall. That's kind of creepy. So, I mean, it is creepy. It's a very creepy concept. And I've come across that a couple times as a paranormal investigator, things of that nature. There's a place in uh, Clearfield County where there's supposedly a body buried in a walled over um, fireplace in a basement of a house. And the house is haunted. Um, And the people are afraid to open it up for fear that they'll find the body and cause this ghost to become aggressive. Because right now he's kind of mellow. And I know of a place in Cambria County 
where I actually got an EVP and I said, where are you at in the EVP? And it said in the walls. And subsequently, um, a person I know brought in cadaver dogs and the cadaver dogs keyed on that same wall in that room and they found human bone fragments in the wall. So the idea that something could be imbued with haunting this property because of you know, the physical remains being in the wall just always kind of creeped me out. But that was one of my favorite ghost stories growing up. And then um, probably another of my favorite ghost stories was um, there was a story that was in a, a book that was actually put out by Scholastic Readers when I was a kid. And I still have the book to this day, believe it or not. Okay. And um, it was about this, this these kids going trick-or-treating and this is one of the short stories in the book. There were several that were very, very good. Um, and the one little girl was dressed up like a ballerina, but her mom wouldn't let her wear her ballet slippers because she'd get them all ruined and muddy and they were expensive. And it was so chilly out, she had to put a, this, her sister's blue cape on. So it kind of ruined the effect of being a pink ballerina when you had to wear black and white saddle shoes and a blue cape. <laughs> right. And it just kind of bummed her out really bad. And there was this... Uh, girl in the group of kids that were going trick-or-treating who was kind of a brat and she would pick at this little girl between houses because the little girl would try to push the cape back and you know and what have you so people could see a pretty little costume and she'd say you know there's no point in that everybody knows you're an ugly little little ghost in a blue cape rather than a pretty little ballerina she's just really rude you mm -hmm. know and obnoxious and um at this one house the that people mistaked her for a little blue ghost. What are you, a little blue ghost? And she pushed her cape back and said, no, I'm a pink ballerina. And um, they had they started uh, out of the house and were going down the street. And, of course, every town has its own little haunted house. Everybody has that old abandoned house in town that every kid whispers as they go across, right. you know, and what have you. And they were passing this old house. And um, the little girl with the pink ballet outfit on she picks up a twig and she's whacking all the little um wrought iron fence posts going by and singing this little song and um and it was a creepy little song and the the girl that was picking started making fun of her for it and she's like you don't have to be so weird you know all the time and just calling her names and stuff and um Somebody said, you know, this house is supposed to be haunted. There was a little girl who lived here, and she disappeared. My mom said she disappeared one night, um, you know, and nobody ever found her again. And that was when my mom was a little girl. And she's telling this story and what have you. And they get past the old house, and they're going towards the next house to do trick-or-treating. And they hear, wait, wait for me, wait. And they turn around, and the little girl with the pink ballet costumes running toward them, twirling around on white ballet slippers. The lady at the last house had got her to stay behind, and she had a pair of ballet slippers that had been her daughter's mm. that she wasn't going to ever use again. So she gave them to the little girl to help complete her outfit. And then they wondered who was the little blue ghost that had been in front of the haunted house. And when they turned back to look, she was gone. That's a good story. I love that story. Because the girl got free shoes. <laughs> you missed the point. Oh, is that the... Did I miss the point? <laughs> I was very excited. <laughs> You're excited by free shoes? Sound like she could have used them. Well, it made her happy, but they yeah. didn't realize that... I heard someone got helped, and they got yeah. I got excited about it. Yeah, but I just thought that was a great story when I was a kid growing up. <laughs> I and... thought you'd be so mad if I said that. It takes a lot to make me mad. You're like, what? What'd you say? Yeah, I was like, shifting gear, shifting gears now, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, we're, we're very different in this uh, in <laughs> later episodes. I was watching the beginning episodes. Yeah. And we're both like very wooden and like yeah. super <laughs> stoic. But that comes from familiarity. We're beginning yeah, to learn each true. other and what have you. Mm -hmm. And become more comfortable and conversational and that happens with any any grouping of people as you get to know each other better yeah that's it true. just flows better i just thought that was funny yeah. when i was watching that i'm like you almost look sad and i all i looked very confused <laughs> <laughs> this is sad and confused show <laughs> this is the chat yeah i'm like would anybody watch after the first they one, obviously you know? did <laughs> Some and we're did. grateful yeah we are grateful for very grateful for giving us more than one chance you i did it this time <laughs> point so um so do you have any favorite ghost stories that you always like like to go back to 
No, my favorite ghost stories are my own ghost stories. They're your own ghost and stories. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of blew that last time. Yeah, I, I got rid of all those. See, but I have ghost my stories. My cupboard's that are, empty. Are like old friends to me that I go and read from time to time. Yeah, or um, I revisit them in some way. Well, actually, you know one that's really cool. What? Uh, that they just made a movie about the La Llorona. Ah, the La Lorna. Yeah. What? <laughs> the Lalorna, the, the she's the um, bloody woman, the, uh, the crying woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, sorry, you you pronounced it like a Central Pennsylvanian. Yeah, and I pronounced it like somebody who actually speaks Spanish. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but they, well, Llorona. crying woman. But there's also yeah. um, another definition: the bloody woman in Scotland. They also have another character very much like that. Oh, well. really? Yeah. Okay. Scotland and in Ireland, there's also a similar character. Yeah, they call I, her the washerwoman. Yeah, it's so messed up, though, that, like, talking about someone, like, being a father, hearing about someone drowning their kids and... To impress their new their new young man, yes. Yeah, that just ticks me off. But at the same time, like, the the vision of thinking about walking into a room and hearing a woman crying, you know, and then, like, you inch closer and closer... And you go to like talk to her and then she turns and she's what she is. You know, that the whole thought of that would be a, amazing for like a short film or something. Yeah. Just like thinking about it. Cause there, there was this, um, there was this one show called, or show, a uh, video game called Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. And they had something called a witch. Right. And you'd walk in a room and all you'd hear, you wouldn't know where she is because it would be like in a big warehouse and things would echo and stuff. So you didn't know where this woman was. But basically, if if she saw you, you were done for. You lost a life, oh. basically, um, in the game. So you're you're always like, and, it, and the music would stop when you'd walk in the room with her. So like you'd all, all you'd hear is this crying that you don't know where it's coming from. And you're looking around trying to make sure you avoid her. And then like you'll see her there she is and you'll think she doesn't turn and then suddenly she'll turn and and uh, scream at you and then latch on to you and you're dead basically. Um, But whenever I heard the that story, I I always thought of like that, you know, that that would be a similar thing. Like if you walk into someplace, you hear this woman crying like that's such a terrifying thought to me for some reason. Just a woman hysterically crying about murdering her kids. It's an awful creepy thing. It's a, yeah. But uh yeah, these are like the nightmares that I have. I'm sorry to hear that. At night times. Um it just depends how deep into REM I go, I think. Well, I mean we talked about it uh a couple episodes ago. Yes. About how I would have those horrible nightmares. Right. So yeah, it happens. Every now and then. But I think like I read a lot of of old ghost stories um first of all i like the way they're written they're be- they're beautiful and flowery in a way that modern writing is not modern writing has no um cadence to it there's no beauty to it um and so i like those stories for that that reason because mm-hmm. of the writer in me likes them but i also like seeing the patterns and um when you take stories from different parts of the world and you can see a pattern of certain things. Like, for example, the stories you were talking about, there is a equivalent in different cultures, other yeah. different cultures. So, and it's, um, we all know from reality that that happens. People have murdered their children to gain the, the um, object of their affection. And it's happened, unfortunately. Susan Smith was a prime example of that. She murdered her children because the guy she wanted to to be with said you know i don't want to be a dad so there's a historical component there's an actual component and you wonder where that archetype came from mm-hmm. and if there's if this always really does narrow down to a real story of a real person at some point so I, I like that and you know there's lots of themes that you see like the thing in the wall thing um that's a theme and you'll find it in almost every culture mm-hmm. um but there's other themes like with the Elliot o'donnell stories in the same book there is a place called White Hall and he in New York, upper New York. And I found this story amazingly fascinating because of an experience I personally had been a part of. And the story was that he had come to um, New York around the 20th, the turn of the 20th century. And he was working up there and there was this uh, little valley called White Hall Valley. And there was an old church back there. 
And he was told to not go in that area, that it was haunted by a demon. And so um, he, you know, being the good, dutiful ghost hunter that he is, had to go back and check it out. Oh, geez. And, um, and he was, you know, he was quite fearless compared to some people because he would go and lock himself alone in old houses for the night to experience the haunting or what have you. Yeah, forget so he, that. Yeah. So he would, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I take friends at least. Yeah. <laughs> we can all be scared together. But anyhow, he went back to this, back this valley, Whitehall Valley, to the Whitehall Church. And then behind it, there were these, um, like these indentations, uh, sinkholes, we call them in this area. And he's sat there all night with a friend and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And just prior to dawn, this, he describes it, and I'm going to describe it almost exactly the same, as, as close as I can get. It was tall over seven foot tall and thin like gray skin stretched over a skeleton. It had red eyes and arms that were so long they hung to the knees and it was hairless. And it stepped into the sinkhole. It threw its head back and gave this mournful cry that just set his soul on edge and screamed as it was slowly sinking down into the earth as though it were going into the very bowels of hell and rebelling against the fact that it had to return there. And I just, and that's not verbatim, but that's as close as I could get. And that captured me. Mm-hmm. But that captured me because years later, like I read it probably when I was 12 or 13 years old. Years later, um, there's um, a shortcut road out in the area I live in, or several, but there's this one in particular that um, we do the family that lived on one end of it, then there's this long road. It was a little gravel, and then it turns in, well, it was pavement, then gravel, then dirt. And it goes all the way out across, and it cuts between two other roads. And it's kind of a shortcut to get from the one road to the other. And part way back on both sides, there's houses, and then there's nothing but woods in the dirt road part. And if you go on through, then you'll come back to where there's some houses and civilization. And um, when I was a kid growing up, we knew the family that lived on the one end of the road. And um, I would stay and help take care of the lady of the house because she was sick with cancer. And so I would like wash laundry and dishes and just do general stuff as a teenager, you know, to help out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I said to her son, who was my age and was about 16 years old at the time, um, I wanted to go down this road one evening, take a walk just kind of get away from the, the smells and what have you because it's a person dying of cancer the smells are not pleasant yeah and um he freaked out now this is a big teenage boy this kid was like six foot tall broad-shouldered very well built kid and he he was like no absolutely not you're not going anywhere down that road neither am i and i'm like why would you not want to go down the road now sitting on the other side of the road right at the entrance to this road um was a like a dog kennel with about 11 or 12 dogs. His dad was the dog catcher at the time. Hmm. And back then they didn't have, it wasn't like today. They just literally tied the dogs to a dog box. And then either somebody got them or they shot them. Hmm. Okay. It was just a different thing. And his old man didn't like killing the dogs. So he always had 10 or 15 he was trying to find homes for. Oh, okay. He was a nice guy. I really liked his dad a lot. Anyway, um, so there was all these dogs over there. And there was this great big German shepherd that belonged to this boy. And a great big uh, light, pole light, over there so that they could see the dogs and see to feed them and stuff when it got dark, you know, in the wintertime. And then beyond, right beyond the pole light was the black opening to this road. And he was freaking out, like scared. He was literally scared. And he told me this crazy story that um, he had been like two years earlier. This would have made him about 15 years old. He had, um, he always hated feeding the dogs because at night, because you had to cross over there and there was all those woods right behind you. It was creepy. Mm -hmm. So he put off feeding the dogs one evening until the dogs were yipping and yapping and carrying on. And his dad was like, what is wrong with the dogs? And he so finally he confessed. He's like, I didn't feed them yet. So his dad made him get the feed bucket and go over and feed the dogs. And he was feeding the dogs when all of a sudden it just went dead silent and into their cages or their boxes. That's never good. Nope, never good. <laughs> Even the big German shepherd was backing up into his box and growling at something behind him. And he turned and he looked and he saw this tall, thin, gray-skinned creature. Had no hair on it at all. Red eyes and arms that were really long. 
And it was just standing there under the, the pole light where you could really see it well. And um, it was watching him feed the dogs. And he dropped a bucket and then took off running, screaming and burst into the house. And he's like, oh my God, there's a monster. And he's telling his, his parents and he was sure his, he was going to get in trouble because who's going to believe this story, you know? Right. But instead of his parents getting um, angry, his mom and his dad kind of exchanged that look that grownups have whenever there's something that they should tell you that they are going to tell you right. <laughs> kind of a look. And his mom said, sit down. And she told him, with his dad sitting there and agreeing, that about three or four years earlier, their dad had been down that road hunting for deer in deer season and had had one of those days when it's cold, wet, miserable, and nothing's moving. Mm -hmm. So he's coming back up the road at the end of the day before dark. And the road has so many trees, it looks kind of like a tunnel in places. And um, he sees this figure ahead of him walking. And... He thinks it's another hunter at first because all you can see is the shadow of a person moving in, in front of you. So he calls out, hey, did you have any luck today? And, you know, this is a very rural community. Everybody knows everybody kind of a deal. And the you know, figure doesn't turn, doesn't answer him, nothing. So he calls out again, hey, mister, did you see any deer out here today? Did you have any luck? And nothing. And just about that time, there's a gap in the trees in this one spot and the light's kind of filtering in. And this thing steps into that little puddle of light and he sees a tall, thin, gray, skeletal creature with skin just draped over the bone. And long arms. And long arms and big red eyes, right? And it freaks him out and he stops and he's just standing there. He's not really sure what to do. And the thing looks back at him and looks at him for a second and then just walks off the road on into the woods. And this whole area is covered in sinkholes. And it steps into a sinkhole, throws its head back and starts screaming as it starts to sink down into the sinkhole. Well, as soon as the thing disappeared from sight, the guy broke and started to run and he ran back to the house. Was so scared he couldn't talk. He didn't talk, he didn't sleep that night. He just sat there and stared at the door and he kept shaking his head like he didn't want to talk to his wife about it at all. And the next day he finally broke down and told her what he had seen. And I thought this kid was jerking my chain when he told me this story. So I went in and I said to his mom, yeah, right, he's trying to scare me. And she said, what did you, what was he talking about? And I started to tell the story and I'll never forget the look on her face because she learned, turned over in bed and looked at me and she said, Patty, that happened. I can't explain it, but it was a, it was seeing that correlation of something that happened in New York state. Mm -hmm. And here's a group of people that I've known my whole life who are telling me it happened there. And interestingly enough, I wrote about it in my very first book and I have had farmers in the area and people who have settled along that road tell me of their incidents of seeing this thing it'll there's a farmer in the area who tells me it comes to the edge of the woods where his one um, upper field is and watches them cut hay and he said it doesn't harm anybody it doesn't do anything wrong but it's curious and it'll stand there and watch in the shadows and when you turn a rat back you'll catch a glimpse of it from time to time do they think it's the same one mm -hmm. i think they i think it is what it is, I'm not sure. Now, in South America, I've come to realize there is a creature that they believe comes out of the sinkholes, out of the ground. Um, and they think it's a demon, is what they call it. But I don't know what you it is. You mean the big ones that, like, swallow up blocks? Like no, I mean, well, I mean, that's that's a sinkhole. That's the ones they have down. Well, they have them. Um, like, have, they have different sizes. I mean, like, there's sinkholes of all sorts right, and right. sizes. But they in South America, there's a, there's a tradition of these things yeah. coming out of sinkholes. And um, I learned that not till I was in my... 30s probably but i would always collect up these stories and so i came across some of this and started doing research on it and um came to realize that there's an entire network of these stories and they're always centered around sinkholes and hmm. the creatures always look the same hmm. and i always thought that was a very creepy story made much creepier do you think they me. caused the sinkholes no i think they travel them but what like, what are they like tunnels I don't know. Or dimensions? Or I don't know. When they get to the bottom? or Okay. I'm not sure. Are they mm. are they things that live in the center of the earth and they come up and in, in and out them? Kind of like elevators? I don't know. You know, I always thought about that. The center of the earth. Yeah. 
Really? I mean, everybody talks about there? extraterrestrials being out from outer space. Yeah. But what if they're from inner space? Because there are stories of things coming out of the ground. There are stories of things coming out of the oceans. What if they come from somewhere deep in the earth? And I they, always thought that too. I'm like, how do we know that there's a super hot core when no one's ever gone there? And, and, and even if there is a super hot core, why is there not the ability for something to live further down in the ground but not that far. And maybe they harness some of that energy for heat or, you know, whatever. Well, they could be. Um, there's there's a an instance where they found, wasn't it like a non-carbon-based life form? There are stories of it. Now, I don't know how valid they are, but they yeah, there are the, stories of it. The, yeah. and, and it's found in like a super uh, sulfur area and like a vent of... The volcanoes or whatever and these stories and have lingered around for centuries yeah of there being things coming out of the earth what about the green children over and i believe it was in france um are you familiar with the story of the two green children there were these farmers i believe was, i think it was in france um i apologize if i'm wrong but anyhow over in europe there was in the 1800s there was this group of farmers farming in a field and they found these two little children who had come out of a cave and it was a little boy a little girl and they were completely green and they had on these clothes that had a, um, a different feel to them. They weren't like any fabric they recognized, okay? And they took the children to town and tried to um, talk to them. The children could communicate, but they couldn't communicate in any language they recognized. Mm. And um, they kept the children. They never let them go back. And the little boy died a few weeks after going into captivity he didn't seem to thrive at all and couldn't eat their food that kind of thing hmm. and no matter what they offered him he just wasn't able to make Tolerate that it, yeah. yeah and the little girl would eventually assimilate a little bit and um she would eventually learn english and she said that they came from a place through the cave where um they had a whole other you know, world. There were her people, her family, and everybody, and entire villages. And um, that her and her brother had been attracted to the light in the cave and had gone to see what the light was. And that's whenever the farmers caught them. So, wait, so this person, this girl, grew up? She and, grew up and she lived in the village. Is she still green? Yes, she lost a little bit of the greeny t greenish tint um, after. Are there as pictures she grew of up. her? No, because this was the, this was the you know the eighteen hundreds in oh, okay. in a rural village. Okay, gotcha. but the stories have have persisted, um, and there's documents from doctors that were attending the children and and uh, things like that, judges and what have you, who took affidavits of the story, and um, so it's a very well documented story in that time frame. And this is what she told them, you know, that there was another, there was another place down through that cave. You would go on beyond this cave and, um, that her people lived down there and they had villages and family and everything. And that her and her brother were always told not to wander away. And they wandered up through that cave and then came to a place where they could see light in the distance and wanted to see what the bright light was. And they came out the cave and that's whenever the farmers found them. I've always wondered about that. Like whenever you go into, you name it, whatever cavern, you know, you go into the grand rooms and everything. Yeah. Then there's always that part that's that they go, okay, that's, that's the end for us. And I'm like, well, what all's down there? You know? And they'll and, say, well, we haven't had time to explore that or it's not safe or whatever. Yeah. But do they know something we don't know? They're like, oh, that's, they're protecting the other village underground. I don't know if they're protecting, but I mean, or if you think about it, there are networks all throughout the earth like that. Right. You know? And um, what if? It's it's more plausible to me that there are, are um, a separate race of, of beings that live down there than that they are coming from outer space. And I'm not saying that, that outer space is any more far-fetched, but... But they're already here. Yeah. And there's a there's a, uh, a story history that surrounds all of this stuff. You know, if you talk about fairies and and gnomes and what have you, they all live in the earth. Right. So is this um, our way of um, telling those stories? But I have always found that story to be fascinating. I never heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's called the Green Children. 
Hmm. And they're not the only green children that have ever been found. There's been a couple other stories, too. Oh, yeah? But that was probably the most well-documented one. Yes. Hmm. And then she grew up and assimilated and everything. Yes. Hmm. She learned English. She actually um, worked for, I believe, one of the doctors that took care of her. And she became like his... uh, housekeeper or maid or something and earned her keep and um learned to eat human food um and everything so uh she she did assimilate so why couldn't she just go back i guess if she remembered everything i guess by that time she had felt like it was too like she was just too long with us at that point huh. you know maybe i'll have to read the, up on it maybe in the beginning it would have been different but she didn't get free to go back her or her brother at the time and so right. years go by and it just becomes easier to stay where you're at true and if he was already gone yeah then that might have been hard hmm. but yeah that's a story so that's always been one of my favorite stories as well because of the the mystery of where they came from and what they are and and you know and what have you and there's just always been those stories yeah i haven't thought of that it's like i've thought more about alternate dimensions versus being actually on the planet already but i have always thought i was like well no one's been in the center of the earth so how they know it's like lava well i mean (laughs) i always wonder that we don't know really very much about the inside of the earth right we only know the little bit of mine and there's some mining stories that are really creepy you know about miners that have had um experiences with seeing something that faded into a wall and disappeared and stuff like that and we haven't we've really never explored our oceans we have no clue what's under our we know more about the moon than we do our own oceans yeah there's that movie cloverfield where the gigantic monster that attacks New York mm-hmm. basically came from somewhere in the ocean. And everyone, when it first came out, people were like, actually, that's kind of feasible. Well, and, we, and we're <laughs> learning that... Something that big could have been hiding and no yeah. one ever would have known. We're learning that um, a lot of the species we thought were extinct are not. You know, coelacanth were thought to be extinct for, for millions of years, and they have caught coelacanth in the oceans. Um, so there's a speculation that what Nessie and all of those things are might be plesiosaurs. Um, you know, and if that's the case, then we're talking another whole species of dinosaurs that just were semi-aquatic or aquatic yeah. and have just gone deeper down. And they're finding all kinds of things Um down there that that we didn't realize either existed or still existed so what else is down there well, we Loch don't know Ness about? is pretty much tapped out isn't it for explore, exploration for people to go in and check it out i don't know how big Loch Ness is but isn't it pretty relatively small it well relative meaning um it's still very large and very deep and murky and it's got with the water's filled with peat which makes it very difficult to see through uh-huh. and there's some elusive tantalizing clues like they did a sonar and they did a, and the sounding and one of the soundings shows what looks like um the flipper of a plesiosaur the body and the arching neck of a plesiosaur um that was several years ago mm-hmm. um so i mean the question hasn't when you look at like alligators and crocodiles it's not that far-fetched that they could exist today and it's, an, it's a known species that did exist right so you know what are the odds that it doesn't that maybe in a different form maybe a different size it doesn't still exist want to know my theory what i think dinosaur well i don't think that i, I don't want to say i think this i have been thinking about this um ever since we did the siege episode and i heard about like quantum beasts quantum cryptids and whatever i thought wait a minute what if all dinosaurs are those? If they're quantum creatures moving through time? Uh, yeah. Like, like, well, they, they had moved uh, maybe however long, how many millions of years ago or whatever, but they could still be doing it today like what you're saying. But they're, they're coming over into the world, and then for whatever reason, maybe they died and their, their bones are deposited here. And uh, and there's still some today that that come over. 
I mean, that's, uh, I guess, a plausible theory. But there's also, I mean, the more realistic theory would be that they simply haven't, you know, completely exhausted. There's places we don't get to. Malek Malembe is um, another creature. It looks like um, a dinosaur, a brontosaurus, mm-hmm. but smaller, okay? And some in Africa, scientists and adventurers, when they first started coming into the regions, um, they were being told stories of this creature and they started bringing in these flashcards with all these different dinosaurs and things on them and to a man every person that had seen this um it's called malek mamembe um would point to a brontosaurus and say that that's what we see it was always the same there was no variation Hmm. and um you know is it in the congo i don't know but it's interesting that they would all, if it was just fantasy, I would think that somebody would pick the more ferocious Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, or something like yeah. that. But to a person, they picked that one. You know, that was the Brontosaurus. It was smaller, but a Brontosaurus. Yeah. So did it just um, change size to fit its habitat? We know animals do that all the time. They grow bigger when there's a lush and large habitat with a lot of food. They grow smaller when over the course of, of history, there's a smaller habitat. And, you know, and, and then genetically speaking, those that are smaller that require less food get to survive. So they start decreasing the size of the species. Right. Um, we know that. That's a biological fact. That's why people are bigger today than they were in the 1800s or the 1700s because we have better nutrition. Yeah. So a five foot five man was average in 1600, and today a six foot man is average. You know, so yeah, we know that. So why is it not possible that these things still exist? We, like I said, we know the coelacanth was supposed to be extinct, and yet fishermen have brought them up on their ships in the very recent past, like within the last couple of years, and have caught them. Yeah. In, in nets so we know they do now we now know that they're not imagination which is what you know the fishermen were saying oh the natives are imagining this now we know they weren't imagining this the coelacanth was ex- was a real thing yeah well and in in a time where nobody can decide how old the earth is <laughs> like some people think it's you know thousands some people think it's millions some people think it's billions whatever um so i was like how does that all fit together like is there a way to combine the things that were millions and billions with things of today and there is if there's another dimension that's a possibility like i said so there's like i mean there's all kinds of stuff but you know we had started out with stories and so those are the kinds of stories that fascinate me Mm mm-hmm and obviously the concepts fascinate you because you've had the stuff floating around your head ever since Brian and Terry. Yep. That is true. I think way too much on all this stuff. Um, what about the like bloody handprints or, you know, a handprint in general, something that no matter what you do, you can't get rid of it. Well, there are like, many like the one of, in Pennsylvania, yeah, and up Jim, in Jim, Jim Thorpe. Thorpe. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are, stories of that from all over the world um i did one in north carolina about a guy who was executed and was um not guilty and he left a, an imprint behind and of course the one in jim thorpe was during the days of the molly mcguires and this one particular gentleman who was not according to everybody else in molly mcguire and he kept saying he wasn't a molly mcguire and even some of the molly mcguires said look we're gonna die we know we're gonna die we've been um you know we've been sentenced to be executed this guy wasn't part of the gang you should just let him go and um it actually it was governor hartthramp who was governor at the time of this. And of course, the Molly Maguires were a gang that were trying to get better wages and better safety for the miners, but they did it by violence. Right. And this is, they, they murdered a mine boss. And so they were sent, tried and um, sentenced for his, to be executed for his murder. And this gentleman was caught amongst them. And um, he worked in the mine with them. But everybody said he wasn't one of them. And the governor was notified. The jailers even had become pretty convinced. So they actually sent word the night before the um, before the execution. The gentleman who was the, the warden sent word to the governor saying, they're all telling me the same story. I'm beginning to believe this guy didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And um, the governor said, you know, he's been sentenced to execute him. 
So he was, and of course, the morning of his execution, he laid his hand on the wall of the prison cell and said, my handprint will stay here forever as testimony to the fact that you're killing an innocent man. And it's still there to this day. Right. Um, that's the story behind it. And those are the stories that get me the most because, I mean, that that's also why, like when I got confirmed with Catholicism, mm-hmm. the reason I chose Padre Pio, do you know who that is? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I chose Padre Pio as my saint name because... He, by saying like, you know, I like having the stigmata and openly bleeding all the time and like being able to do some of the stuff he would do, like he'd be in one room and then he'd also be in another room at the same exact time, Mm -hmm. you know, he he could levitate, like all that, all that stuff um, that they said he could do. It's like he was actually physically able to show somebody something. Right. Even though I know seeing is believing isn't how faith should work. Right. But they there is an instance where they did have somebody to show right stuff and and i was like well if that's not a compelling argument for you know this stuff is real um i don't know what it is you know so that's why i chose him uh as being my guy but um yeah just the the whole visualization of something that we can actually go to up to jim thorpe right now and see that handprint. Right. And we know exactly, you know, what the story is and everything like that. And they cannot get rid of it. No, Period. it's been it's crazy. painted over and what have you. Yeah. And, and that's not the only such story. Like I tell a story in one of my early books and it was about a man. I was actually told me by the man it happened to. And he was a farmer and he was a, um, a farm hand on a big farm. And this farm, like a lot of these big farms, they have properties in multiple places in the area so you would take the equipment which is why they're always on the road trying to slow down traffic because they're taking the equipment from the big farm to this farm to the next farm to the next farm Mm -hmm. to cut or plow or whatever right and this is what was one of those kind of deals and he worked for this group farmer and there was a little cabin um up on the second farm back and so when they would go up there to work they would just stay in the cabin and the owner of the farm um had told them he was going to go up and get started and they could join him in two days when he was finished with the uh what they were doing which was cutting hay on the on the lower big farm Mm -hmm. and um to this day nobody knows why the man did it but whenever my my the the gentleman i was interviewing um went up to meet him he was going to stay over at the cabin too and the two of them were going to work the field up there the fields um he came in and the man had shot himself while he was sitting in bed and of course the force of the gun blast had blown the back of his head out and embedded um the brains and the and the back of the skull into the wall right um and of course yeah and of course it's it's a, a horrible horrendous thing to see it was horrible to find and he you know he got this is before the cell phone days so he got out of there and he um notified the police and they came up and it was suicide and um what have you and that's what they said it was anyhow that it was a suicide and so they um ruled at that and and the guy's wife asked if this man would clean up the mess because unfortunately as, as anybody who's ever had to live through something like that will tell you the police do not clean up after a suicide oh geez they do not. I don't know if you were aware of that. No, I had no idea. There's nobody that comes and helps you. They just basically leave you with a mess and tell you to clean it up. And if you're in a city or someplace, there's actually um, like Serve Pro or somebody might come in if you pay them the money and they'll clean up the mess. Um, I actually have a good friend whose brother committed suicide and my son helped her clean the mess because nobody would do it. Oh, jeez. So it's horrendous. And anyway, this guy agreed to go clean. They have like crime scene cleaners and stuff. You'd think that would be a service. It is in cities, but it's not in the country. I mean, you know. That's sad. Um, And anyway, um, so he agreed to do it. He went up and he he cleaned up the worst of the mess. And then he was, um, he realized that the wall behind the bed needed replaced. So he went and bought lumber and replaced the wall and took the other stuff out and burned it because it had stuff in it. And... um, he called the lady up and told her, he said, look, it's all cleaned up if you're going to take people up there. Because she was going to sell the property off. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. He said, it's good. Well, a couple of days later, she calls him up and she's really upset. And she's like, how could you do this? 
And he's like, do what? She's like, I trusted you. I took those people up there and, oh my God, my husband's brains and the bone and everything are still in the wall. How could you do this to me? And he's like, it wasn't. I, I didn't. So he drove up there and he looked and it was the new wood, the new, you know, paneling and stuff. But it had the same pattern of the gunshot and the gray matter and bone and stuff. It had come back somehow. And he said um, she paid another person to go up and do it and it did it again. And so they eventually just burned the little cottage down. Sheesh. And there was always like this whisper in the background that it wasn't a suicide. And he said, I've always wondered if the reason he kept coming back it was to say, look at this again, because you guys made the wrong conclusion. So who was it that this happened to? This was a, a gentleman I interviewed and it was um, when he was a young man. Yeah. He had worked on a farm here in Pennsylvania. Okay. And it was this farmer. And I don't want to say their names because yeah, obviously sure. the family's still around. That's and, not really important. Yes. Their names. <laughs> but that was basically, yeah. it was a farmer and his, and uh, this guy was like a professional farmhand and had been on farms his whole life. So they burned the cottage down and then what, nothing else showed up? Well, I don't know that they ever put anything back up, any other structure back up there. Even if they didn't, I mean... Would... If it was haunted, there would be nobody going up there. That was the only reason to go up there. Yeah. So maybe if if you know if he's still haunting it, there's nobody to see him. I wonder if he needs help. Well, I mean, when I first got this story, I was in my early 20s. Back in those days, I wasn't doing this. But if he needs help, I hope someday somebody will get sent in that direction to do it for him. Yeah. That would be nice. Sounds yeah. like... He got the raw deal of something. Something struggles. Some yeah. sort of struggles going on in this man's world. Um, whether he committed suicide or as this guy always thought that maybe this was a murder because other people were going to inherit a lot of money from it. Oh. Okay. You know, farmers are worth a lot of money on paper. Farm equipment's not cheap and the land isn't cheap. And, you know, a lot of farmers, if you looked at their assets, are well over a million dollars. That doesn't mean they have a million dollars in their pocket. Cause right. It's all invested, you know, in the land and the, and the equipment. Sure. But if you were going to sell it all off, um, it would be worth a lot of money. Yeah. Well, that's awful. Where was that at? That was in central Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. You don't want to reveal it. Yeah, right. It was... Um, a, was you, you don't have to. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, Central PA. Let's okay. just go with that. Yeah, okay. Because like I said, there's like, there are some stories... I was going to say, I'm, if somebody's out, like listening yeah. that wants to go and see if he's like yeah. no, still the, struggling... The reason I struggle with that is like there are places I that are... There are ghost stories that I will not tell. Yeah. Because the families are still in the area. Right. Like I know of a place where there's a haunted um, bridge. Mm -hmm. But the man who committed suicide there, his family still lives in the area. And I will never harm the living yeah. to tell the story of the dead. So sure. uh, his children are in the area. His mom and dad are still in the area. Oh, no, no. They will never hear the story from me. I've heard the story from multiple people throughout the years. And it, when it gets to me, it stops with me. I, I don't need a ghost story to write that badly. Right. Do you want me to lighten the mood? You can if you'd like. I mean, I'm just telling you, those are yes. an interesting. It's yes. interesting that kind of thing. I just hope the the spirit is either moved on or maybe he'll, he'll get help one day. I hope so. Um, so I was I was this was last week, and I was upstairs, <laughs> and and I was uh, in Alana's room, and when I I was on the ground and I was helping her. Um, like get dressed and stuff. I look down. There's a handprint on the floor. A little child handprint or a big people handprint? No, it's my handprint. Okay. Well, it resembles my handprint, but I don't know why it's there or how it got there or anything like that. But I, I like put my hand over it and all the pads matched up mm -hmm. and my palm was at the right place and all that stuff. And I don't know, like... If it happened to be some sort of condensation, mm -hmm. but I wasn't like pressing my hand for a while. Right. So I was just like, is this one of those time warp things? <laughs> and then, like later on, I get something on my hand and I stain it and it's coming through now. 
<laughs> you well, you know, know, when Mark told the story of the Daniel Lady Farm. That's and what the I blood, thought of. Yeah. You know, there is a handprint in blood in the corner of that room. Right. I don't know if he, I'm not sure if Mark told that part of the story or not. But um, but that's always been there. It didn't just appear. No, and it, but, it, but they, it was, um, I want to say, overlooked. Like, they luminaled that room, and that's whenever everything became very evident as to what was going on there. Mm-hmm. But in the corner by the doorway, there's this handprint in blood it's just black now but it is blood it glows with the luminol and um it's where somebody pushed themselves up when they were probably next to have their limb amputated um and it's there yeah. and and it's always there yeah i thought it was very curious that <laughs> my handprint is there but i don't know how it got there right so and it hasn't it's not like it's been there is it there now or did you vacuum no i i try to wipe it off mm-hmm and it's still there. Well, that's interesting. You can see it on the way out. <laughs> I actually took pictures of it. I thought I gotta save this for Patty. Um, so yeah, I have it. But it, it's my handprint. Yeah. I just don't know where it came from. That's interesting. So <laughs> every time I see it, I'm like, hey, hey, there you are. But I don't know what to think about it, you know? Because I, I I was like, well, if it's a different size, then it's. It Not could be like a ghostly handprint or something. Yeah. But it's my handprint, clearly, unless I happen to have a, the exact same hand size as something that's... That's haunting your house. That's haunting my house. Yeah. Which, you know, that's pretty far-fetched, I think. So that's interesting, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'll show it to you. I'll, maybe I'll so, post yeah, the pictures. I was going to say, you're going to have to post a picture for yeah. everybody else to see I'll, now. I'll post the pictures for everybody to see it. But yeah. that's one thing that's always fascinated me is that, like, the thing where you can't get something off. Because, you know, any stain... Like we have one of those spot bots yeah, and it like goes around and it gets everything out perfectly. And I'm like, I just can't fathom something not being able to come out or be painted over or whatever. There's a lot of those stories. So, so I now what my ghostly handprint is. We're coming to the end of another hour. Yeah. And we'll have to t- kind of sign it off, but we will have more stories to tell as we get closer to Halloween. Yeah. This, this was a lot more fun than the last time we tried to do a story time yeah it didn't work out that, that didn't way. work out so well it just well it, we were told to go in a different direction i think well the stories were going to but we ended up yeah yeah i don't that was a heavy episode it was but i think that's part of you know was something we needed to address at that point i agree i agree all right uh we'll catch you guys later mm-hmm.